Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Genesis 33. We're continuing, of course, our study of the life of Jacob. He's returning, of course, uh, to the promised land. Really, he's left Haran, and he's going back to the land. And this evening, after 20 years, he meets Esau. And, I mean, it. Uh, when they separated those years ago, there was hurt and sin and anger. Jacob had deceived and stolen the blessing. Esau wanted to kill Jacob. And now, after all these years, they're going to meet. And remember that God had promised Jacob, though. He said, Jacob, don't worry. I will be with you, and I will protect you. So this evening, as we see this, the key event really in Jacob's life, and, and there's the truths there that we see for all of us. First of all, we're going to see the reconciliation. Go ahead. Reconciliation. Two brothers are brought back together. And we'll see that. That's really a powerful thing. And, and we're going to see how that, we're going to see some principles and the basis for our reconciliation or for reconciliation whole. In fact, in our lives, we need reconciliation in two different ways. First, every person needs to be reconciled to God. That's really the story of the Bible. Perfect God brings sinful man back to himself using his son, Jesus Christ. The story of the Bible is reconciliation and every human being needs to be reconciled to God. Then sometimes, many times, we need to be reconciled to others. So those two things will be tied together as as we look at the passage, as we see tonight, definitely Jacob and Esau and their reconciliation. But we want to talk a little bit about God and reconciliation to him and how all that happens. We want to gain some insight from these passages. So let's start with a prayer, and then we'll get into the passage. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a great night. Thank you again for the privilege we have as believers to be able to come together with fellow believers. Thank you, Lord, for each one that's here tonight. Thanks for the great songs and just the privilege of lifting our voices in praise and adoration and to you, Lord. And we thank you, Lord, that at, at it's an act of worship also to study the Word of God as we look over it and we study it and we, we try to see what it says and then we make application in our lives. We're responding to you, to your Word, to who you are and what you've told us. And so, Lord, even as we look at these stories, uh, there are great truths from your Word that we can apply. So, Lord, we want our lives to be changed. Thank you for the privilege of coming together with other believers. Most of all, Lord, we never take for granted Jesus, how he died on the cross, paid for sin and rose again and gives us eternal life. And we thank you, Lord, that it is a gift. It is not based on our works, our righteousness, or our goodness, but simply faith alone in Christ alone. Lord, teach us now. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, sometimes uh, we get upset with each other. I mean, that happens. Sometimes we get mad, we get hurt, we break fellowship. Sometimes it happens in a family. Sometimes it happens with friends. Sometimes it happens with fellow believers. Uh, it, it, sometimes even people we work with, those kind of things. What are we to do? Um, are we supposed to have hostile relationships with others? What do we do when this happens? Well, we realize that one of the key truths from the Word of God is reconciliation, the idea that people who are maybe not not together are brought back together. And that's really the story of the Bible as far as God and mankind, and it's also a great truth as far as individuals are concerned. And as we study this passage in Genesis 33, and, you know, we've been going verse by verse, passage by passage, all the way through the book of Genesis. It's just amazing what is in there. And, and all the things that we've seen, but we're not through yet. There's still a lot to see. In the book, we got to get through Jacob, and then we got into Joseph, and, and uh, all those the great stories that we've all heard about and know about. So there's going to be some great things uh, as we study this. Um, Jacob and Esau are twins, twin brothers. They've been apart for 20 years. And just, and as if there's a miracle, we're going to see this re reconciliation, and we see humility and forgiveness. And that's something... Uh, all based on grace. I want to put that together. I want you to think as we look through the passage and as we think about the whole idea of reconciliation, there's an aspect of humility 
an aspect of forgiveness all based on grace. And we'll see that involved. And this evening we're going to look, uh, and we'll just get the first 11 verses. That's why I only decided to do 11 verses tonight. Do 11 verses, and then we're going to look at reconciliation with God. And once again, it's humility and forgiveness. And then next time, next week as we look at this, we'll see reconciliation. We'll continue with the story, but we'll also see reconciliation between believers or between people. And uh, it's pretty powerful. As we start, let's get some background. Jacob has obeyed God's instructions. Jacob had been in Haran for 20 years, and God basically told him it was time to go back home. And so he's got his family, his his wives, his slaves, his, his slave women, the children, all of his people, and they're on the way back. And if you remember that Jacob is very rich. He's been receiving the blessings. There was a blessing given to his grandfather Abraham. God said to Abraham, he made a covenant with him and promised him land seed blessing. He then took Abraham to Isaac. Isaac, who was Abraham's son, he told him exactly the same promise, that you'll get the land, the seed, the blessing. And then we've seen that Isaac's son Jacob, the exact same promise has been given to him, the land, the seed, the blessing. And we see his blessing. And, and all of this, as we looked at it, both Abraham to Isaac to Jacob, not any of those people deserved the blessing. We look at our lives. None of us in this room deserve the blessings of God. We do not deserve to get to go to heaven. We do not deserve to get to have the scripture. We do not deserve to have the the Holy Spirit. We do not deserve to have spiritual gifts. We do not deserve to get to serve God. None of that we deserve. It's all grace of God. And so we see Jacob's life, and, and we look at him, and we know his name means deceiver. God has changed his name to Israel, which means prince of God. But we look at his character, and we say he's been pretty much a deceiver most of his life. So how does God bless him? Because God said he would bless him. It's God's choice to do this. He chose Abraham to Isaac to Jacob. And he's going to pass on through to Judah. And we're going to look that Judah doesn't deserve the blessings. Neither does Joseph. Neither. I mean, when you start looking at it, it just that's just the way it is. And so we're going to see this, this whole idea that God has promised uh, blessing and protection for Jacob. And he's on the way back. He's making this 500 to 1,000 mile trip coming back, coming across the Tigris-Euphrates River to come back to what is called the promised land. And we saw last time Jacob had this encounter with God. He, Jacob knew that he'd, he'd sent word to Esau that he was coming. Word came back to him that said, your brother's coming, and he's coming with 400 men. Jacob immediately thinks that Esau's coming to kill him. And so he divides everything up, and he divides his, 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 all of his property into two big groups. He thinks if, if, if Esau attacks one, maybe the other one will get away. Then he divides his family up, and he puts the slave women and their children first, and then Leah and her children second, and then he takes Rachel and Joseph and puts them last. And he basically says, that's, that's my protection. And he sends them across the, the little river there, and he's by himself. And that's where this man shows up that nobody knows, but he realizes that it's God. And he wrestles, God wrestles with Jacob. And he gets Jacob to realize that it, it, you can't fight God. You can't fight. You have to give up. You have to rest. So he hangs on to God and says, oh, God, bless me. So basically he learns to hold on to God. God blesses him. God touches his hip. And from this point on, he's going to have to limp the rest of his life. In fact, it talks about having his Cain, and this is going to remind him the rest of his life that you've got to depend on God. And so that's where we are, and now it's now the morning time, and Jacob is going to look up, and he's going to Esau, see Esau coming, and it's pretty powerful. And we're going to see reconciliation between the two brothers, but we'll stop with that and talk about reconciliation with God and how that breaks down. Let's look at the passage, I'll break down the passage. The first 11 verses, we're going to talk about reconciliation, humility, grace, the meeting of the brothers. Then next time, 12 through 17, we saw Esau wants Jacob to follow him, but Jacob goes to Succoth. Why? 
uh, well, I don't know. We're going to look at it next week when we see, because Esau says, come on, let's go. And Jacob goes, well, I'm going to have to go slow. He says, okay, I'll leave some men with you. No, nah, don't worry about that. So Esau goes to see her. Jacob goes the other way. You can see Esau going, where is he? Is it always going to be this way that every time he tells me something, it's never what he tells me? But let me just say this. Jacob's plan was never to go to Seir. Seir's not the promised land. His land, his role was to go to the promised land. We'll talk about it next week when we get there. But that's the two things. We'll just look at the first 11 tonight. Let's begin. Remember, Jacob has been waiting for Esau. He has sent word back to him. His word's been sent back to him. 400 men are coming. And so Jacob's now going to have to trust God which he hasn't done much in his life, because most of the time, if there's something come up, he's figured out a plan. He's deceived his way through. Let's see what happens. Verse, chapter 33, verse 1. Then Jacob lifted his eyes uh, and looked, and behold, Esau was coming, and 400 men with him. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two maids. Now, as he looks up, here he, he can actually see now, and there comes Jake, uh, Esau, and there's 400 men. That's what he's been told. And he looks up, and there's a huge group coming. Looks like soldiers, looks like warriors, looks like fighters. And he's thinking to himself, this is, this is not good. This is not good. He still remembers what happened 20 years ago. He still remembers how I cheated him, how I, how I took the blessing. It was supposed to be my blessing anyway, but I took it, and that's the way it was. Anyway, so he looks up, and so he decides to, to divide. He divides the children among Leah and Rachel and the two maids. And so he divides his family up based on his wives, you might say. Look what he says. Look what he does. He put the maids and their children in front, and Leah and her children next, and Rachel and Joseph last. So he puts the maid and the children, that was four sons. He puts Leah and her children, that's six sons and a daughter. And then he puts Rachel and Joseph last. So through his favorite one, he's only got one son, Joseph. And Jacob puts them, and let's just say it honestly, he puts them for what he considers the least important to the most important. Let me ask you something. Do you think they knew that? Do you think when he's saying, okay, y'all go first, y'all go second, y'all go third, what, what do you think the fir- first ones thought? We're not that important. Is, is this a shock to them? It is not a shock to them. They've known that all along. Him lining them up that way, that, that's no shock. If you would have asked them, who does he love the most? Loves Rachel. What child does he love the most? Loves Joseph. What about us? Well, you're his, we're his sons. And he loves us, but he doesn't love us as much as them. Leah, who does he love the most? Everybody knows he loves Rachel. What about these maids? They're just maids. That's who they are. But let's face it. That, they know this. It's not saying it's right. We're just saying what is true. And so we're going to see that he does this. Now, uh, the idea here, if harm comes, he'll harm the maids first, and then Leah And then last of all, probably Rachel and Joseph. But the idea of favoritism, it's always the problem of polygamy. Always. Remember the story of Samuel and the two wives and and the problem in the household. It was the same thing over and over. And there's always, and there's problems a lot of times in households where there's children and, 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 and one parent or someone will favor one child over another. We've seen it all the way through. It's been this way. We saw it with Abraham. And and, uh, and 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 Isaac and, and Esau and excuse me Isaac and Ishmael and then we saw the same thing and uh, it's just it's just been that way all the way through. As I said a while ago, this action didn't tell them for the first time who was the most important. They already knew. Well, he lines them up, but watch what he does. I think the old Jacob would have said, "Maids first, Leah second. Rachel third. I'm going to be back over here and see what he does. 
That's the old Jacob. That's not what he does. Notice what he does, verse 3. But he himself passed on ahead of them. I'll stop for a second. You know what he did? He went first. He got in the front. He's going to meet Esau. In a sense, you might say he's risking his life. He's going to meet his brother first and put his family behind him. That's not the way he's always been, right? I mean, let's face it. When Abraham was worried about his wife, Sarai, what did he tell people? What did he tell her to tell people? You're my sister. They haven't always put the interest of their family ahead of them. I mean, they put themselves ahead of their, that's just the way they are. But Jacob does something different. He placed, passes on ahead of them, and notice what he does. He bowed down to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. Do you know what he's understanding he's doing? As, as Esau sees him coming, Jacob goes, and he does this seven times. Now, that's a mark of what? Humility. He's bowing down to Esau. Think what he's thinking about. He's always thought, who's the best one? Who got the promise? Who got the blessing? Who got the double portion? Who got it all? He did. And he's going to bow down to one in the Bible who is called godless. He's going to bow down to the godless brother. Why? Because he understands that in reconciliation, there has to be humility. And so notice what happened. He he uh, he passed on ahead of him ahead of them, and he bowed down to the ground seven times until he came to his brother. Now we're going to see some aspects of reconciliation, and, and think about it. The first one, go to the next slide. We see two things that are there. There's the humility, where he's going to approach his brother and admit that he's wrong. But we're going to see forgiveness, and forgiveness is based on grace. Always that that's that's the way it is. Humility, as we're going to see that that uh, Jacob comes. And he humbles himself before his brother. And then we're going to see forgiveness, uh, how that ties together as well. Let's look at the humility of Jacob for a second, okay? Think about it. So he's bowed himself down. He's passed on ahead, bowed down to the ground seven times until he came near his brother. He's coming to Esau with humility. Notice what Esau does. Now, if, if we hadn't read this before, if we didn't know Scripture, if we didn't know what was going to happen, we could say, you know, Esau could be coming to kill him. And that, that's what we might be thinking too. We don't have a clue of what Esau's thinking. We know this though, that if you're Jacob, you know that God has already said, I have promised you. He knows he's promised that God has promised him the blessings. God has promised that he'd be with him. That God has promised that he would not leave him. So the only thing you could be saying is, Lord, I'm trusting you. I'm trusting you. I'm trusting you. He's not going to kill me because you told me that you're going to be with me and take care of me. Notice what Esau does. Then Esau ran to meet him and embraced him. And he fell on his neck and he kissed him and they wept. Now, by the way, in that culture, men did not run. To run was what a, a child did, a kid did, a little boy runs. When a grown man ran, it was a mark of humility himself. He's running to his brother. It's amazing. And so he runs and he embraces him and he fell on his neck and they're hugging each other and they're kissing and they're weeping. And we might have expected anger, but he ran to meet him and he embraced. It's been 20 years. What happened? 
I think in the 20 years Esau realized that uh, that maybe that some of the problems Esau had was a result of Esau, not just Jacob. You remember, did Esau marry people he wasn't supposed to marry? He did. Um, here's something that's amazing, though. Esau had been blessed by God and no longer felt that he lost everything. Because when Jacob says, I got this for you, I got this for you, I got this for you, what does Esau tell him? I don't need it. I got plenty myself. So as the years have gone by, Esau realized that he was blessed by God, in a sense. So what does he do? We see forgiveness. He reaches out in love. And forgiveness on what basis? There's no basis for this forgiveness except it's the grace of God. It's the grace of God. Had Jacob done anything to deserve forgiveness? Let me ask you a question. We all sinned against God, right? We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And yet God in His grace and mercy reconciles us to Himself through Jesus Christ. Did we do anything at all to merit God's forgiveness? Not one thing. When we hurt somebody else, and we do, and people hurt us, and we need to be reconciled, is there anything in a sense that we can do to, to earn forgiveness? Not really. can't change the past. You can't go back and say, I'll make that different. You can't make it different. It already happened. It's all grace. It's all grace. Esau in his grace forgives, and we realize that grace is the basis for reconciliation, humility and forgiveness. So in reconciliation, we're going to see humility where we admit there's wrong and there's forgiveness based on grace. It's always that way. Let's see the interaction between the brothers, and then we'll come back to a little bit more on that. And it's pretty, it's pretty powerful. I think if you were there, and you had been connected with Jacob, and you see Jacob bowing down to Esau, you'd probably be shocked. You'd go, I don't know what happened to him last night. Because he's not the same today as he was last night. And then to see those two come together is really an amazing thing. Watch what happens. He lifted his eyes and saw the women and the children and said, Who are these with you? So he said, The children whom God has graciously given your servant. Now watch. First of all, it's Esau who lifts his eyes. He sees the women and the children. He, as, he's, as he's hugging and they look up, here comes these maids and these children, and here comes Leah and her children, and here comes Rachel and Joseph. And he sees all these people. And besides all the other people that are coming and all the cattle and all the everything that he's got, and he lifted his eyes and he saw the women and the children. He said, who are these with you? And so he said, this is Jacob says, the children whom God has graciously given. Now watch what he calls himself. Your servant. It's humility. He says, these are just the family that God in his grace has given to me. Has given to me. And I'm your servant. He's doing it over and over. You see the humility. God always deals with us in grace, by the way. When he says God has graciously given me these children, everything in our life is from the grace of God. Everything that we have. God always deals with us in grace. Salvation is grace. Uh, Christian life is grace. Everything. You know, I saw a cartoon the other day. It was a group of Pharisees confronting Jesus. And they were saying, we get our salvation the old-fashioned way. We earn it. You know, and uh, that's the Pharisaic way was that you do good. And there are people today that we deal with every day 
that believe by their good works somehow they're going to earn their way to God. And it just breaks your heart. Watch what happens. So uh, let's go on to see it. The maids came near with their children, and what did they do? They bowed down. Humility. Leah likewise came near with her children, and they bowed down. Humility. And afterwards, Joseph came near with Rachel, and they bowed down. We see all of them coming with acts of humility, seeking forgiveness and reconciliation, the maids and the children, all of this. Now watch the next question. And he said, what do you mean by all this company which I have met? Now he's talking about, you remember that what Jacob had done? He took all these animals and cows and he sent a group up there. And then he sent another group following that. And then he, and he had to have space in between them. And he sent another group. And so as Esau was coming, they, he stopped and he saw these people and they had all these animals and cattle and everything. And he says, what is this? And they said, it's a gift for you from your brother. And then the next one and another one and another one. And so all this stuff. And so he asked him, he says, what do you mean by all this company which I have met? He said, why are you sending me all this stuff? And he said, to find favor in the sight of my Lord. He says, I want to find favor. I wanted you to, I want, I want you to be mad anymore. I didn't want you to kill me. I, I wanted to send all that up there. But look what Esau says, which I love his response. And, and, and by the way, by the way, you know, all this is a means of reconciliation. And Alan Ross said something I thought was really good. I got put the quote up for us. Alan Ross was a Hebrew professor at Dallas when I was there. He says this, it's impossible for Jacob to give back the blessing. He can't give back the blessing that he stole. But it's not impossible to give the fruit of the blessing. What he's trying to do is say, listen, God's blessed me. i got so much. Esau, I want to give you some of my blessing. What is Esau going to say about that blessing? Look at the next verse. Verse 9, but Esau said, I have plenty, my brother. Let what you have be your own. He basically says, i got plenty. I don't need it. You keep it. Now, let me ask you something. What's the purpose of giving all this? This is all these are acts of what? Humility. What if he doesn't accept the gift? I mean, how do you feel if you said, I, I, I got this for you? And they go, I don't, I don't want it. I'm not going to take it. Thank you. Thank you for, thanks. Have you ever tried to buy somebody something and they won't let you buy it? Have you ever said, hey, I, I got the meal. No, 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 no. Yeah, I got it. No, no. I want to buy the meal. I'm not going to let you buy the meal. Well, thanks a lot. But what really sometimes people think it's a pride thing. I'm going to, uh, I'm not going to let you buy my meal. Well, you're, you're cutting out a person's blessing. It's more blessed to what? Give than to receive. So what if Esau doesn't take it? What he's really saying is, if I don't take these presents, we not right yet. So he says, listen, uh, I have plenty. Just let them be your own. But Jacob says, Jacob said, no, please. Now watch. If now I have found favor in your sight, then take my present from my hand, for I see your face as one sees the face of God, and you have received me favorably. He says this, listen, no, 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 no. you got to take it, because this will tell me that I have favor with you if you take the gifts. And that we're okay, because it'd be like seeing the face of God that you've received me. Please take my gift, which has been brought to you, because as God has dealt graciously with me, and because I have plenty, then he urged him, and what did he do? He took it. That's his way of saying, okay, okay, we're back, we're fine, we're fine. I mean, just hugging and kissing, and all, that ain't enough. He said, you got to take the presence, because I got, you got to understand I've humbled myself, and you've got to forgive me. That's the plan. Wow. 
Leon Morris said the Oriental custom to be assured of reconciliation, he has the gift has to be accepted. It's powerful. Please take the gift. So he took it. Now, I want you to think about this reconciliation. And there are really two things involved here in this relationship. There's humility and forgiveness. We've talked about it already. Humility is where he's bowing down. He's coming. He's admitting his wrong. He's seeking forgiveness. He's bringing all the presence. That's Jacob. But forgiveness is based on grace. It's where Esau, is, it's where, first of all, that Jacob doesn't earn it. Can't earn it. But Esau takes it and, and, and Esau uh, receives him and Esau forgives him. It's based on grace. In our lives, there are going to be times in which we need to be reconciled with somebody else. And we're going to go to the details on that next week on what do we do. But let's talk about reconciliation just for a second, okay? Reconciliation is this. Is it a change from hostility to harmony between two relationships or two parties? It's basically being brought back together. It's two people who are estranged. They're enemies or something, and they're brought back together. That's reconciliation. story of the Bible is perfect God brings sinful man back to himself using his son Jesus Christ. That's the reconciliation of the Bible. And so when we think about that, here's what we're going to do. I think if we got this slide tonight, we're going to look at reconciliation to God. We're just going to briefly touch on it. Most of us know this way. I mean, technically we talk about it all the time, how Jesus Christ died for us and gives us eternal life and we're reconciled to God. We'll talk about that tonight. But the next time we're going to talk about reconciliation to others, we'll kind of put that together and see how that fits. Now, the story of the Bible, next slide, is God has reconciled man to himself through Jesus Christ, the perfect righteous God, brings sinful man back to himself using his son. Let's think about reconciliation to God. Let's do that. Let's think about it. Next slide is, is here we are. We're thinking about it. Man has moved away from the garden. Man sinned and fell short of God's glory, moved away, moved away from the glory of God. Every human being born in the likeness of Adam, we all come into this world dead in trespasses and sins. We all move away. All we like sheep have gone astray. Each are on our own way. There's none righteous. No, not one. There's not one that seeks after God. We've moved away. But God wants man reconciled to himself. If you understand this, it was not man looking to be reconciled to God. It was God wanting man to be reconciled to him. It is God who so loved the world that he did it. It is God who sent the Holy Spirit to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. It is God who has the plan to reconcile man. Left to ourselves, without the Spirit to convict us, we would never seek to be with God because we're fallen people. We don't want to. So God has done it all. So let's think about it. There's the two parts, of course. Humility and forgiveness. It's the same thing. This is our relationship with God. Let's think about humility as far as the whole idea of reconciliation. We realize in humility, here's what we realize. We come to God recognizing that there is nothing in ourselves that can bring about this reconciliation. There's not one thing that we've ever done to earn it. God doesn't say, well, you're trying very, very hard, and because of your trying very, very hard, I'll bring you to myself. In fact, it's just the opposite. We're not trying at all. And so humility is we realize that we cannot save ourselves. I mean, that's really the aspect of salvation. Many people do not understand that. I talk to people a lot about, about going to heaven, and I ask them questions. And I'll say, you know, are you going to go to heaven? Yes. Why? Because I've tried to leave good. I've tried to do this. I pray a lot. I talk to God. I try to live a good life. They actually believe by their goodness what they try to do, they can be reconciled to God. They don't understand 
that there's not anything we can do. We have to come in humility and say, there's not one thing I can do to get myself to God. Because even my righteousness, Isaiah 64, 6, there's the righteousness uh, of man is, is filthy rags. Uh, you know, we're just filthy rags. God has to, in, in our humility, we come to him and he saves us. It is not of ourselves. Listen, you remember Ephesians, for by grace you're saved through faith, and that not of yourself, not of works, lest anyone should boast. It's not anything that we do. We have to come in humility. Look at the next slide there, because we've got Titus 3, 5. It's not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but it's his mercy that saves us. Galatians 2, 16, knowing a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith. It's not by what we do. We come trusting in God and his provision. We come by faith. It's humility when we say, there's nothing I can do. It ha- you have to get to a point where you realize you can't save yourself. You can't do anything to be saved. It's God saving it, doing it all. So that's humility. But there's the second part, and you remember what that is, and that's forgiveness based on grace. By grace, we are saved through faith, not ourselves. It's a gift. Forgiveness comes by the grace of God. Titus 2.11, uh, the grace of God brings salvation. It's by faith in Jesus Christ we receive the forgiveness of sins. One of the great verses is Acts 13, 38, and it talks about we receive forgiveness by faith. The forgiveness and the reconciliation comes by faith. Now, you've heard me say this before. There's the difference between uh, the payment of sin and the forgiveness of sin. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, he paid for the sins of every human being. So the payment of sin comes by Jesus Christ's death and resurrection, by his death on the cross and his payment for sin. But forgiveness of sin comes by faith, and they're two different things. Every human being has the payment for sin because Jesus died for everybody's sins. He's a satisfactory payment, not for our sins only, but for the sins of the entire world. Only those who have believed in Jesus Christ have the forgiveness of sin. Acts 10.43 and Acts 13.38. Those verses give us that. So we see, based on the grace of God, reconciliation comes by humility and forgiveness. And so the question that we'd ask everyone, and, and I know most everybody in the room, but the idea is, are you reconciled to God? In 2 Corinthians 5, 18 and 19, it says God has reconciled man to himself through his Son. Namely, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting our trespasses against us. He's reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. We come to God in humility, realizing we are unable to save ourselves. We trust in Christ and Christ alone. John Walford said that man is justified, forgiven, and a new creation when he's reconciled. And that is simply the grace of God by faith. Humility. Ray Steadman. Talking about reconciliation. He says, reconciliation originates with God, not man, and is voluntarily accepted. God is the one that decides. He wants us to be reconciled. Humility and forgiveness based on the grace of God. Well, next time we're going to talk about, because tonight we just talked very briefly about our reconciliation to God, and that's humility and grace. Next week... We're going to talk about reconciliation with others. We see the pattern right here of Jacob and Esau. And guess what? It's humility and forgiveness. We've seen it all based on grace. We've already seen it tonight. We'll see more details next time. Let me give you a couple of applications, and we'll open up for any questions you have. First question is, are you reconciled to God? Because that's the most important question that, that could ever be asked. Do you, are you been brought back into an eternal relationship with God? That's the question. And there are a lot of people think that there's all kind of ways to get to God. And 
there's no telling what people think, but the bottom line is Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. Christ died for our sins once for all, the just for the unjust, to bring us to God. The way we're reconciled to God is by faith in Jesus Christ, and it comes on humility when we recognize that we cannot save ourselves, and it is the grace of God when he forgives us based on his grace, not based on what we do. So it's very powerful. So that's a great question. Second question is just the thought for next week is, do you need to be reconciled to someone? This is a hard thing. Uh, is there a need there? And the bottom line is this, humility, where you recognize that you go to that person and you say, there's a problem here. See, sometimes we spend too much time worrying about who's right and who's wrong. What we need to do is say we need to be reconciled, and that's a humility thing. And and we saw that Jacob humbled himself before Esau. And, you know, I bet you if you ask Jacob, you think you did wrong? He said, no, blessing's supposed to be mine anyway. And Esau's godless. We all know that. But what did he do? He came in humility saying, I, if I'm going to be with my brother, if I'm going to be back the way it's supposed to be, I have to humble myself. It's humility. The second thing is the forgiveness part. It's all on grace in the same way that God has forgiven us. Remember, be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving one another just as God in Christ Jesus has forgiven us. We'll talk more about that next week, some details. May we all be reconciled to God simply by faith in Jesus Christ. And if need be, may we be reconciled to one another. So let's pray. We'll open up for any questions. Heavenly Father, what a passage. Thank you as we look at Jacob and Esau and the coming back and the humility and all of those things tied together and the forgiveness based on grace. And so, Lord, thank you, first of all, for what you've done for us, that you loved us so much you sent Jesus Christ to die in our place and you bring us to yourself and we come in humility recognizing we can't save ourselves and by your grace you forgive us and give us eternal life. And, Lord, may we do the same thing in relationship with others when there's a problem that we come in humility and the forgiveness all based on your grace. Thank you, Lord, for these truths from the Bible. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, questions, comments, anything? Yeah, Jeff. But I, that's, a, that's a great thought because here's the question is why, why does Esau bring in 400 men? I think that, that Chip is exactly right. I think he thought, look, when Jacob left, we weren't, we weren't happy at all. And I, in fact, I wanted to kill him. I've got word that he's coming back to see me. I don't know what to think about him. I'm not sure I can trust him. I never have trusted him. So I'm taking my men with me just in case. I think that's a part of it. And, of course, it, it worked both ways because as soon as Jacob found out he was coming with 400 men, he got all afraid and thought there would be a battle. So I, I think you're exactly right. And uh, to me, when, when as he was coming and all these presents were coming, and I think Esau was thinking something's different. And then when he sees Jacob coming, bowing down over and over, I think it broke his heart. I think he came running to him and hugged him. So I think you're exactly right. I think he brought the men. And we're going to find later that at the very end of the passage, he says, okay, why don't I leave my men with you to help you have a safe trip? So it could be now that he says, well, I've got these men here. They can help Jacob as he comes. Now, Jacob turns it all down. But so I think they were coming originally as, as fighters just in case they needed it. I think you're exactly right. What else? What else? Yes. Uh, 
I don't know, I, I picture a lot of fear connected there, but I, I think he's saying if I'm going to be reconciled, I've got to humble myself and realize that that there's not, there's not something I'm going to be able to do to do this. I've just got to throw myself on his mercy, basically, and humble myself. And that's what we do to God. We just say, I have to recognize that there's not anything I can do. I just humble myself before God. I think it was fear, too. I think he didn't know what to think. So I think you're exactly right. Maybe he did. You know, I hate to say this, uh, but even after they meet here and they get ready to leave, Jacob doesn't want to have anything to do with Esau. He goes his own way. I mean, he says, yeah, 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 we're coming later. We're going to have to move slow. We'll see you in a little bit. And he never goes there, never goes to see her. Now, he could say, I'm not supposed to go to see her. I'm supposed to go promised land. But uh, as far as we know, he never goes to see her to see his brother. So I don't think they even like each other, to be honest. I think they love each other as brothers. I don't think they like each other. They're twins. I mean, think about it. You know, it's amazing. Yes. The, you're exactly right. I didn't bring that out, but what I thought, and the best that I could look at that is because Joseph is going to be so prominent in the rest of the book that sometimes the Hebrew way of writing is they'll they'll list a person, they'll list something, and he stands out for a second and then comes back later and gives a lot of the information. So the best that I could tell is the reason he's listed first is because he's, you know, you, you get just a few chapters from here, Joseph becomes the key person in all the rest of the book. So I think that's what they're doing. Jacob. Jacob would have uh, continued to be the last one in line. You know, put the slaves for her, the, the maids for right, right. the last one in line. Then he would have been, in a sense, humbling himself out of fear. But after wrestling with God and moving himself to the front of the line, it was actually a sign of true humbleness. Well, I, I agree, but I also say that he still could be just as afraid, but he says, after what I've been through and now what I know, I'm just going to have to trust God, and I'm going to have to be the front one. So I, he could still be afraid and humble himself, but but you're right. He he bypassed everybody else, and he put himself out front. You're exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. What else? Anything else? Okay, Heavenly Father, what a great night. Thanks for the fun that we have as we study the Bible. Thank you, Lord, for the reconciliation we see in the Scripture that you've reconciled us to to yourself using your Son, Jesus Christ. And uh, not counting our trespasses against us, you've placed them on Christ, and we get to be with you simply by faith. For you have made him a new no sin to be sin for us. Thank you, Lord, for these great truths. Would you use us to share that message with other people? Uh, And, Lord, thank you also for reconciliation with other people. Help us, Lord, as we continue to study so that we might do that. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.